And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So, you know, investment exists in so many shapes and forms. And, you know, we could really go on and on and on for probably the rest of our lives about that. But today we're going to be a lot more focused and we're going to talk about concentrated and creative investment strategies. I've got a subject matter expert that I'm really excited about diving in to this conversation with today. Now, before we, before I tell you who that is or get too far into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's my company, and I'm looking forward to hopefully giving you some good advice about your future tech team. Go to Fullscale.io and go to the Get Started page. Tell me a little bit about what you need help with, and we'll get right back with you. And with me today, I've got Jeff Candelupo, and Jeff is the founder and managing partner at Listen Ventures. Go to listen.co. Just scroll down to the show notes and click the link. And you know what? Go ahead and do that now so you can have a little context about what we're talking about. Straight out of Chicago, Illinois, Jeff, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. Really excited to be here with you today. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, you know, I, I, I always say conversations to hopefully help your business grow. But uh, before we get in too far into a conversation, give me a little bit of your backstory and, and you know, the listeners want to know too. Yeah, sure. I guess um, quick history. I, you know, I'm born and raised Chicagoland area, Western suburbs. Um, went to school at the uh, University of Iowa for, for college undergrad um, and then I landed uh, for the first part of my career in the advertising world. So I spent a decade at an advertising agency called Leo Burnett, which is a global ad firm, kind of best known for, you know, partnering with kind of the Fortune 50, if you will, and, and creating a lot of the characters we, we, we grew up with, Matt, <laughs> whether it's uh, Tony the Tiger or, or some of the others. Um, but I, I cut my teeth kind of learning how to build businesses through a brand lens while I was in advertising. And then... And then uh, through that, I got a lot of exposure to innovation strategies. So I helped uh, work on innovation um, um, strategy for companies like um, Kellogg and Procter & Gamble and Philip Morris. And through those experiences, I got I kind of caught the, the, the bug for identifying white space and launching new brands, albeit through kind of the big, big company philosophy. And that's also what led me to get real excited about what was happening in the startup ecosystem. So 2010, I left Leo to start um, the first iteration of Listen, which was essentially a naive dive into the world of investing in venture capital. Um, and, uh, you know, 11 years later, we're, uh, we're currently investing out of our fourth fund. And, um, you know, our, our, our purpose is to back and build what we call the brands of tomorrow. So we, we are concentrated investors where we only invest in 10 to 15 brands per fund. And we have a team of experts beyond our investment team of creative professionals and brand strategists that roll up our sleeves and help help to build brands. And so 
that's uh that's the quick backstrap. So I, I get the concentrated part. So is the creative side of the investment strategy, does that involve a firsthand approach to helping those that you invest in uh, build the brand? Like saying, hey, you know, we've got a lot of experience with this. Uh, we're concentrated by doing this small, well, you know, it might, to those listening, 10 to 15 companies per fund might not sound that concentrated. Most funds are just like the whole thing. Like, hey, we've got a hundred million dollars and that could be two companies or it could be 64. Yeah. Yeah. Just for context there, Matt, like the majority in in venture capital is um, from an asset class perspective, it's highly risky, right? You're investing in startup companies. And so the, you know, the, the logic around investment strategy typically points you towards investing in a lot more. Um, And so like most of our peers are investing in kind of 30 to 50 companies per fund. So when I say concentrated, it's in the context of venture capital being kind of 30 to 50 per fund versus ours, which is kind of 10 to 15. Um, from a creative perspective, which is your question, you know, I, our philosophy is that, you know, every brand is a work in progress, <laughs> um, no matter how, how big or how, how large you are. Um, but it's really true in the early stages. And so um, when we think about creative investing, you know, it's essentially a, approaching your business through a creative lens. How do you solve problems through creativity? Um, you know, we, we believe creativity has the power to, to change human behavior. And usually when you're building a startup, um, you know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to change people's behaviors around how they experience something or how they um, buy a product or purchase something. And, you know, creativity is going to go a long way in terms of unlocking opportunities for growth, um, standing out in a world that is increasingly noisy um, and just, um, you know, constantly thinking about new ways to, to go after a market. So in my spare time, I have been recently studying the habits and traits of genius and meaning like what makes some people, uh, you know, genius and talent are often misunderstood because you're talented when you can hit the target that everybody sees you are, you are potentially a genius when you hit the target that no one knew existed. And with that, there are, uh, and by the way, once someone told me that I was like, oh, wow, there's a big <laughs> difference between, and people get it confused because you see someone, you're like, wow, that person's a genius. They might not be, they might just be really talented and good at repeating or prep- preparing for stuff. Now with that, and you, you know, this is what the creativity is largely seen as something a genius can never lack. Like without, without a healthy dose of creativity and that creativity also curiosity comes with that. So they, curiosity and creativity. Now I've just kind of started my ascent into this world and I've been fascinated with this for a long time, but I've really gotten serious about it lately. So do you think that, you know, like you mentioned creativity, I think you got to be creative, kind of be a genius because you got to build something that no one else has built. But it's, it, how do you feel about the curiosity side of that? I mean, the, the name of our firm is Listen. Um, so if that gives you any insight to how we feel about curiosity, it's, uh, it's, it's what we li- live and breathe. And, you know, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. To me, it's the three, th- three C's that work together in terms of our business. You got to have curiosity about the world. You got to have curiosity about what can be done or done differently. And then you got to have capital to, to put to work against those ideas. And true, then you, you got to have creativity to help uh, grow those businesses and grow those ideas. So, um, you know, I love that you you got to the curiosity as the part of the creativity notion. And 
um, at Listen, that's that's what we look for. It's actually um, the first word on many of our job descriptions when we're hiring new folks. You know, it's kind of interesting you mentioned capital because one of the traits is also enterprising, um, which is like it, it variably involves the quote genius or whoever you're thinking about needing to go and find some capital so they can be enterprising with it because they can't really get all the way down the rabbit hole that they want to be down without it. And it's, and for many creative people and, and, you know, people are building things, that's not always their favorite thing to do. So, um, you know, when it comes, when it comes to all of that stuff, Hey, you know, I, I, I'll let you know how the results work out on that. So yeah, there really are, there's apparently 24 traits that, you have or are, are pretty dominant in, in any person if you're going to be a genius. So, all right. So, you, you know, you, you go from one world where you're talking about working at, I mean, how many employees does Procter and Gamble have worldwide? It's like <laughs> huge, right? It's maybe more than like some like little of the, of the smallest countries that are out there. Um, so you go from that, you know, highly corporate uh, to the world of startups, kind of like the, the far end of it. Uh, what's, what's something that surprised you that existed a lot in the startups world and something you might've also pulled from the corporate world that was useful? Like where did, where did those, where did those worlds intersect and, and what did you find? It's so interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I get asked the question all the time of like, what, what do you miss or what did you bring with you? And I think um, what I always tell people in terms of, you know, moving from advertising into venture capital, which seems very like a very distant um, type of background or field um, in advertising, like our job was to understand an audience and then help our clients create communication that was culturally relevant to that audience. And so our job was essentially, you know, coming up with and then, hopefully approving ideas that was going to connect a product brand experience to a consumer base in an emotional way. And in a weird way, I think it's incredibly similar to what you're doing in venture capital, which is you're meeting with entrepreneurs and you're trying to understand if their ideas have the capability of connecting with an audience in terms of eventually creating a new type of business. And so um, you're discerning, you know, what's culturally relevant? What, what do you, what are you looking to accomplish with these? And, you know, are, are these the types of things and, and the narratives that consumers are, are looking to connect with? And so um, I think I take a lot from what I learned in kind of the big corporate world to working with startups. The difference is, um, you know, it, the, the startup world doesn't come with a lot of the baggage that the corporate world does. Um, and I like to call it clean slate right? When you're, when you're building a brand from scratch, you have a clean slate. And so, you know, if you're promising something to a consumer, your decisions about everything in your business, not just the way you communicate, but the business model, the supply chain, everything you're doing, you're making those decisions from scratch. And so you can make sure that every level that you're promising to the consumer, when they peel back the onion, they're kind of reinforced with what you promise them is real. Versus when you're trying to keep a brand that's been around forever relevant, you know, sometimes you, a consumer could take a peek behind the curtain and say, hey, you're telling me you're the, you're the healthy food company, but that's just your new brand because all your other brands you've been selling me for years, Nestle, haven't necessarily been that healthy, right? For example. So one thing startups don't come with 
that corporate does come with is an owner's manual in many <laughs> regards, which is, you know, you get these strength and weakness kind of things. And I always tell people the thing that I think is hardest about any newer upstart business. Like people say, well, what is a startup? Cause it's funny. Cause they called Uber a startup literally until it went public. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure that was a startup anymore at that point. But you know, the, the lack of an owner's manual is, is a key ingredient for something becoming a startup. I, I would think that, you know, so I've kind of been down your path as well. Before I was an entrepreneur, I worked largely in the musical instrument business, but I worked for, a, you know, the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments for a while. And I learned a lot of stuff about like how to do things properly and in a systematic way. I think it was beneficial for me. And I also learned how bloated decision-making can be. So I think that I, I often compare, uh, I use the game battleship. So startups are like that little two peg destroyer that you're pissed off that you can never seem to find and hit, but it can outmaneuver where the battleship is the battleship, the aircraft carrier is the aircraft carrier. So, okay. So, and when you hear the term creative capitalist or creative capitalism, what comes to mind? Um, I think it's just about, it's about an approach. It's about a philosophical approach to how you're, how you're investing in change. Um, you know, that, that, that's what comes to mind for me. I think every entrepreneur and we're fortunate to be in a business where I meet people every day that inspire me. Um, and they're inspiring me with kind of creative, create creative thinking about the way the world should work or the way a, a product should deliver an experience. And so, um, you know, I think I think creativity is the the engine for innovation, and and I think you know capital and venture capital is is going to be the fuel for that for that um, creativity, and so that's why we've kind of mixed to match that. That's why our team is you know we're probably one of the only venture capital firms that has a head of creative right and a, and a partner that's a head of creative, and so we we take the we take this idea of creativity plus capital very seriously. What, when it comes to brand building, what do you think is something that startups and early stage businesses are just terrible at? <laughs> um, you know, I, that, that, that was a hold my beer kind of laugh, by the way, because <laughs> like there's there's quite a few. I'm just curious what your take is. on Well, it. <laughs> well it's funny, Matt. Things have things have changed pretty dramatically in the in the 11 or so years that I've been doing this in the sense of just the sophistication of founders around what it means to build a brand. Um, I would say like to answer your question specifically, I think one of the things that often gets wrong, gets done wrong or maybe misinterpreted is I think people misinterpret brand for branding and, you know, branding is, yeah, you got to have a good design. You have to have, you know, a logo that pops. You have to have good colors and, and a scheme that feels cohesive and consistent. Um, but that's one aspect of building a brand, right? Building a brand is about making sure that um, every experience that your your constituents come into touch with your brand or your company feels like it's adding to the value. It's building trust over time. And so building a brand is, is about systematically creating an experience with a consumer over a period of time. It's not just about you know, the way you look. Um, which I think is often kind of a um, misinterpreted um, understanding about building a brand early on at the early stage of building a business. 
Yeah, I'll talk to early stage founders and, you know, they'll, they kind of look at what we've done, either with Startup Hustle or Full Scale. And, you know, I, I employed, you got a four-year-old business with 225 employees worldwide. And, you know, you talk about building the brand. I'm like, well, we don't have, we don't, we didn't have a brand. And like, at, you, at which point you have a brand is when you have something that people recognize, like at all. And, okay. you know, as a startup, usually don't. Now, how do you go about doing that? I mean, there's a lot of ways to build a brand effectively. And there's also even more ways to implode and destroy one. Uh, Maybe save that for a completely different subject. But overall, I mean, you got to create value. You have to create value. And like, and as I've gotten older, I've learned that um, a lot of it is about creating peace of mind, which is actually like a weird thing. Like a lot of people don't consider that, but you look at like, Uh, especially with a tech company, you know, it's like you're creating peace of mind, like something that turns the gears in the background or helps you you sleep better at night, knowing that this brand is defending your personal time, your business, something. I mean, there's just a number of different ways, but really in the end, it it usually revolves around something that makes someone's life easier. Yep. Yep. I think, I think that is a huge use case, especially in tech, right? Which is, um, we have this conversation all the time internally, Matt, which is like, um, is, it, is it a brand or is it a utility? Um, especially when it comes to certain tech, tech products or tech businesses. Um, what I find fascinating is that, in, you know, I'm a brand guy, so obviously this is a biased point of view, but like, I, you know, you've seen the consumerization of every category. And I'd say even B2B SaaS, right, has become a very consumerized business. If you think about, you know, some of the biggest outcomes in the last five, 10 years, you know, Slack, Dropbox, those are all consumer brands um, to the end user. They just happen to make their money by selling, you know, their their enterprise service to, to big clients. Um, but I, I think it's about building, you know, building a building an experience that people care about and then want to talk about. And, and that's ultimately how you're going to build a reputation. Yeah. And I want to talk more about, I'm a big, I'm a big experience guy for a number of different reasons. Before we get into that, it's a quick reminder. Today's startup hustle experience. There you go. is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably reach out. We want to help you do there's 350,000 open tech jobs in the U S right now, which is insane. And it makes it hard for founders to like find what they need to build what they need. And that's actually why we started the company. Uh, my best companies that I've started in the past were an accident and <laughs> full scale kind of was too. We never really set out to actually start that as a company. Now in regards for experience, and I mentioned being a big advocate, we actually launched our brand uh, through experience-based marketing uh, here in our hometown in Kansas City, where uh, we actually acquired suites at all of our local venues and and invited people to what we what I branded as sweet and greet. And I know I invented the term because there was no hashtags anywhere for that. Love That's it. how you check. That's how you check your brand now. You're like, hey, did I invent this? Because if there's not a hashtag out there. But with that, we realized that by creating an experience, because, okay, we sell software development services, man. Like, come on. It's not, it's not like 
the sexiest thing out there. So we wanted to, to, you know, I had a history in the music industry and in entertainment and ticketing and stuff like that. So I knew that if I gave someone an experience that they remembered that they had fun at and, and even better, if they found valuable added around their business, they wouldn't forget who we were. Uh, it was highly effective because, you know, we take, you know, you get 16 people in a suite or something. You take basically seven or eight people, give them a plus one, and you just throw them in a room and see what happens. Now, the the result of that is, you know, people had a good time, they had fun, and they met other people that were their peers and later became their friends and colleagues and maybe even did business with some of them. So that form of experiential entertainment and marketing can be really exciting and fun and memorable. They don't forget you. I'll tell you, if I took you to see new kids on the block, it didn't matter if you like the band or not, you're going to remember it was me. That's the whole point. Now that can be a little bit different than the experience someone has with your product. Like, I mean, really in the end where I'm going with this and the, and the next question I'd like to talk about is what do you think is important for creating a memorable, valuable or brand building experience? Well, I think I think your example is spot on, and 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 I think what you're doing is is the analog of what a lot of um, what I would say kind of modern brands are doing, which is they're you're creating a community, you're you're bringing people together around a topic or or some sort of industry or, or product category, and you're having conversations. I, I hope what you're doing mostly, Matt, is listening. <laughs> and and listening to those folks so often often to rock and roll but yes <laughs> you know yeah. but but you know you you've got a you know a small kind of almost mini focus group when you're doing those experiential events to listen to your customer and think about connecting them with other people that are you know facing the same problems they are which is how do you scale your your tech organization etc and those experiences and connections and community that you're building are are really powerful and over time, it compounds, and and I think that's that's the importance of of how you build kind of a brand over time. And I think what you know what the internet and social media and everything has enabled brands to do over the last fifteen years or so, since it's become ubiquitous on social, is that you can do that on steroids, right? You can do that in a way that's never been done before. You can have one to one relationships with millions of people, and you can connect them directly and form communities around you know, a topic that you think is important to talk about. And it might be tangential to what your your ultimate product is. Um, but if it's brand aligned, it makes sense for you to do that. And it's and it's in good business. And so um, I think just thinking really, you know, thought being very thoughtful and intentional about what your purpose is in the world and then figuring out how you bring people into it. How do you bring, how do you create believers and how do you, at every step of the way, give them an experience that that's going to be worth talking about? I've had people ask me, they're like, so you, you just have software companies come by? No, we say entrepreneurs, influencers, and uh, investors. And we are very, very agnostic with who we invite because, and part of it, and by the way, it's been highly effective because, you know, I don't want to, like, you're an entrepreneur or you're not, you know, like that's kind of a binary thing. Um, and with that, you know, the entrepreneurs know other, we travel in packs, man. And, uh, and, you know, and, and by the way, the result of that is that uh, we just have a remarkable referral network 
Uh, I mean, it's like my business is basically fueled on referrals at this point. I still don't buy advertising for full scale. So, you know, that's another thing. We did 7 million in sales last year and people are like, wait, you didn't. And then you take in the podcast and the revenue it creates. And then we actually had a positive marketing budget. <laughs> yeah, I, I joke. It's like at back in business school, uh, which I dropped out of, by the way, I like to be open about that. Um, but, you know, if you had turned that in with your projections for your, you know, widget corp, Acme Corp business plan, they would have circled that in red and would have said, see me. And the <laughs> teacher would have been like, yeah, nobody has a positive marketing budget. But that was before the world of podcasting and social influence and stuff like that. Once again, with me today, Jeff Cantalupo. And Jeff is the founding and managing partner of Listen Ventures. Go to listen.co and see what they're doing. Now, I went to your website earlier and you guys are doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, according to my notes, you've closed a recent fund or maybe continually in the process of doing that. Now, you mentioned having different funds if so there's four so far is that is that right that that's correct we've we've closed uh four funds over time but we close them in 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 kind of a time-based fashion matt so you know our first fund was call it 2010 to 2015 then we raised our second fund 2016 then we we invested that all the way up through last year and we just closed our third fund and then a new opportunity fund that was on top of that so um you know so we we invest in we invested kind of 10 to 15 companies per each fund. And, you know, we, we roll up our sleeves and try to become real partners with our, with our entrepreneurs. So when you say an opportunity fund, does that have a specific, like when I, when I hear that, I think, okay, so I'm here at, at the new startup hustle and full scale studio and office in downtown Kansas city, Kansas, which has honestly seen better days and it's in an opportunity zone. So sometimes when I hear opportunity, I think about that, but does the term opportunity being attached to that have anything to do with the fund, with the companies that you invest in, or is that just a way to kind of know that it's different than the others? So it's, it's a little bit of a moniker to know that it's different, but the, the, our strategy with having an opportunity fund is to have a separate amount of capital that we use to continue to invest in our companies as they mature. So our core funds, if you will, we invest very early stage. We're kind of seed or series A investors um, in kind of um, startup brands, right? And as those companies continue to mature, we don't, we don't, we have, pretty disciplined size funds. So we don't keep a lot of capital at the core fund to continue to maintain our position over time. And therefore we, we raised an opportunity fund and that opportunity fund is kind of dedicated to allow us to continue to invest as some of our companies go on and continue to raise capital and, and mature and in, in growing the business. So be, being located in Chicago, which is the New York city of the Midwest for us here, um, you know, or LA, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's our Midwest big city. It's, you know, it's become an innovation hub and there's a lot of stuff going on there. In my opinion, there's some pluses and minuses to operating there. One, it can be a little bit more expensive just because it's big city. You know, there's some finite nature of it. And then uh, also there's a ton of opportunity and ton of people you can reach out to. Like, how are you seeing Chicago change when it comes to being an innovation hub or, you know, what, or is there anything? So in Kansas city, we, it's funny. Cause you know, we're, we're, 
I'm in the middle of a city, but people just think I'm in the middle of a farm on some days, but there's a lot of like animal health and agriculture type stuff that goes here. So like what's, what's been going on in Chicago and what, it, and are, are, is the city trending towards anything or are there anything that really seems to stand out over and above other markets? Yeah, Matt, I think it's a great question. I think Chicago is an incredibly um, diverse ecosystem when it comes to industries. Um, and that's largely because we have, and, and I think it's one of the benefits of our city at large, which is like, we're not, we're not, um, we're not over indexed on any one industry, right? Like, you know, you look at Detroit and it's reliance on the auto industry, right? We, yeah. Chicago's got a significant amount of diverse, large companies. Um, from an innovation perspective, it, it's changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Um, and I think we're, you know, quite frankly, still just getting started. And even though it's matured quite a bit. Um, but some of the industries that stand out, and I'll use ones that we're very involved in, but, you know, we, we have created a, a incredible group and cohort of companies in the food innovation um, ecosystem. Um, we have a number of, you know, one of, we exited a company out of our fund last year called Factor, which we sold to HelloFresh. It's, it's the largest prepared meals business um, now in, 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 the, in the country. Um, and we sold that to HelloFresh. I, I, I will be eating HelloFresh for dinner tonight, just so <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that was a Chicago-based company factor that we grew, um, you know, for, for a long period of time. All, everything out of Chicago. And it was a, it was a, it was a um, national, nationally distributed brand. Um, we have, you know, other food companies like Home Chef, which is a competitor to HelloFresh that did phenomenally well. They sold to Kroger. Um, we have a company called Tavala here in Chicago, which is, you know, um, kind of reinventing um, the the oven um, and in doing prepared meals on top of that, farmer's fridge, and the list goes on and on and on. And I think, um, you know, that's on top of things like Grubhub, right? Grubhub was uh, one of our, our biggest kind of early stage um, food company outcomes in terms of a marketplace model that, you know, now you have DoorDash and Uber Eats and everything else. But um, I think we've built a, a, a really deep kind of innovation ecosystem around the food food sector. Um, and so that that's one one that I would point to. Yeah, we've had Mike Evans, the co-founder of Grubhub. He's been on the show, actually, not in somewhat recent uh, time frame. So, yeah, an interesting story there. He and I ended up actually talking more about um, it being, quote, passionate as startup founders, which some people just define as angry, um, which is okay. Um, you know, that's, uh, and by the way, I love, I love the fact that we're now continuing to have a conversation about things that aren't all tech. Cause you talk about, uh, you know, you know, just the, like food innovation. And uh, I mean, there's so much of that now, um, you know, What's something that you, that what, all right. So the pandemic is, is a weird timeline for so much of us and you've been on both sides of it there. Well, I don't know if we're fully on the other side of it, but what's something that you saw that was really in vogue prior to the pandemic that now is like, or just kind of losing its steam. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think I've, I've maybe, um, um, optimize my brain for looking at things for what's continued momentum versus a want, want. Um, um, I think, you know, man, I, it's, I, 
what was I excited about before the pandemic? I, let me back up and say that we have been fortunate not to be exposed to a lot of industries or companies <laughs> that got decimated by the pandemic. Um, we invest in a lot of um, consumer-based e-commerce or consumer tech, and the majority of our businesses actually accelerated through the pandemic. And so from that perspective, the thematics that we continue to be excited about are really um, anchored in, I think, a lot of the trends that we were excited about pre and have continued to be excited about post. Um, so I wouldn't, I can't point to anyone specifically that I was really excited about that kind of went down the drain after the pandemic. I, I literally had multiple conversations with people pre-pandemic that were like, yeah, I'm bored. I'm, I'm done with ed tech. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and it's like the same people as if we had never had the prior conversation or like, I'm so excited about ed tech right now. I'm just all the money we're going to put, we're going all in. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. So you never know, man. Hey, but that's the way it goes. We're all allowed to change our opinion. I, I think that, uh, um, if you can't pivot a little bit, the, my, my, uh, business partner and often co-host says, uh, Matt Watson. So like, Hey, the pivots, my favorite move, baby. So, um, yeah. You gotta, and also you got to be flexible for sure. Matt. And I, I think it's interesting. Yeah. One, one area that we've been investing in, in, in and around, um, for a long time that we continue to be excited about. And, and it's unfortunate. I wish we, uh, didn't have to be excited about it. Um, which is mental health, right? We, we invested in a company called Calm back in 2012 when, you know, meditation, quite frankly, was not mainstream, but you kind of had to squint your eyes and believe that people were going to start to spend time helping, you know, exercising their brain as much as they did their body. And, you know, fast forward to today, you know, we're, we're facing probably the largest uh, mental health epidemic in history. And so, you know, there can, needs to be a continued focus on innovation around giving people access, access to help, access to, you know, knowledge uh, around um, how to take care of your mind. I mean, it's just as important as any, I've actually written, wrote a book on the subject. You know, it's, I, I, my take on it, you got three P's, you have your personal, professional and your physical life. And you know what, there's no actual, like, formulaic approach to everyone. There's no right answer. We're all a little bit different. We all have a different set of needs. So I would be remiss if I did not ask about what or how uh, your fund and your company look at uh, a diverse approach to investment. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great question. And I think it's a question hopefully everybody is thinking about. Um, in terms of diverse approach to investing, I think you know, what we're looking for are extraordinary entrepreneurs. And my experience, Matt, has that has been that extraordinary entrepreneurs usually come from extraordinary backgrounds. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly looking for folks that um, have, have had maybe more challenging times in their lives and are, are solving problems that they've seen or, or been through themselves. Um, and, you know, from a, from a high level philosophical perspective, I think it's also just about bringing voices to the table for, for, from, for audiences. You know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that our, our name is listen. And so, you know, we can't, we can't sit here and try to invest in consumer brands if we don't have consumer voices at the table that represent all different consumers. Um, and so we're, we're very focused on, um, 
bringing to the table, both in our team, as well as, um, you know, with, with our partners, um, voices that um, oftentimes are underserved. So we can understand what's, what's happening, what's happening in culture, how can brands serve them better? Yeah, I, I, I look at, yeah, I've made quite a few investments myself. And I like to say like an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. I don't like even like the labels, honestly, like, you know, and I've had conversations with, with some of my, the, the female entrepreneurs that I'm the most inspired by. They're like, why do I have to be a female entrepreneur? Can I just be an entrepreneur? I'm like, you are with me. We're good. We're good. So what are, before we had into, before we round out the show and come in for a landing, what's a quality or a trait that'll make you want to invest in an entrepreneur and one that won't? Um, I mean, the, I don't know, maybe this is a cop-out answer, but like the first one is, is belief. I don't, you, you gotta have, you gotta, as an entrepreneur, your job is to make people believe. And especially at the early stage, it's the number one trait because you got to get, most of the time, you got to convince people to come on this journey with you, (laughs) right? And oftentimes they're leaving, you know, very, um, very good jobs and and deciding to kind of throw, throw things uh, to the wind and take a risk. And so you got to, you got to make people believe. I think that's a trait that I'm, that I'm always looking for when I hear the entrepreneur story and uh, why they're doing what they're doing, how purpose-driven is it, um, and then a, a trait that um, I forgot how you termed it, but a trait that maybe is a, a bit of a turnoff or a pet peeve, I would say is, you know, any, any inclination that I get that um, they're just doing it for the money, um, I, I typically get a bit turned off, right? I think uh, I've had a number of entrepreneurs and some of them have gone on to be very successful, but they pitched me that the reason they're doing the business is that they looked at 50 industries and figured out that this one hadn't had a direct to consumer success story. And so they were going after that one and that's exciting, but it doesn't have the the purpose or intention that we look for when we're looking to back a, an entrepreneur and tell a story. I, I've asked that question to quite a few people on and off the mic or air, however you want to call it. And um, the, the, the best answer is also the, the, the answer for the most and the least is the same thing. And it's, you kind of described that you belief it was just passion. So passion or lack thereof, which you kind of said without using the word passion, because a lack of, and the reason for that is it gets you through like yeah. a, pa- a pa- passion for the solution and for the fix and to solve the problem is gets you through the times when you want to quit. And if you don't have passion for, which by the way, is another, another trait of genius is passion because if it doesn't exist, uh, there's a lot of belief that uh, if you're not passionate or highly interested in the solution, you'll never apply enough of your mental or spiritual or per, whatever you want to call it bandwidth to solve it. So it's a, it's a key ingredient. Now it's time for our, our, it's time for our time to pretty much come to an end here momentarily. And I like to end my episodes, start a puzzle with what I call the founders freestyle. I say my episodes, cause if you listen regularly, you know, I am not the only host of the show while it might've started with myself and Matt Watson, We've gotten a lot broader than that. So make sure you tune in weekly to uh, hear what Andrew Morgans has to say about building brands, e-commerce, and 
Amazon sales. Uh, so Andrew's the founder of Marknology and Amazon Brand Accelerator and tune in for Lauren Conaway's weekly show. Lauren is the founder of Innovator and they just got their 5,000th member and I'm excited about that. So hopefully you're one of them. Now with that, I, the founder freestyle, you know, I like to give founders an opportunity to, to freestyle. I've had people actually rap. I've had people recite poetry. I've had people go blank and I've had hopefully people say anything that they may have missed or what some of the key points from our conversation might've been or anything. I don't know. It's your freestyle. So I was trying to buy you some time there anyway. <laughs> so I, sir, I hand you the mic. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to actually flip it, Matt, if that's okay. And I don't know if people have done this to you, but one, we, we, we have a podcast um, as well called overheard. There you go. And yeah. one, we end every episode with one question, which is, what are you listening to? So Matt, I would love, what are you, what are you listening to? What am I listening to? Well, a couple, can I answer it and do my freestyle or do yeah. you, or is this your freestyle? This so is my freestyle. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And asking okay. All right. So all right. then I still get mine. So <laughs> what am I listening to? I actually, here, I'll bring it up because one of my new year's resolutions is to reduce my rock and roll intake because it's high. Um, and, you know, do a little bit, get into the Audible collection that, you know, Audible guilts me every month into using the credit that I forgot about. So I have this like, I have like years, I've got like a hundred Audibles. I've listened to about 30 of them. So this morning I actually listened to the genius zone. As I mentioned, I've been studying. I, I'm honestly, part of it is I'm trying to figure out how to flip what I first thought was a switch and then it turned into a dial. And now I've learned is more of a spiral that goes up towards your quote genius zone. So that's been what I've uh, been listening to in that. And that's been a part of a, of a broader experiment that some people think is going to turn into my fourth book. I, I don't know about that because I don't know if I want to write another book. And then, so I, I listened to that. And this morning, I always listen to music in the shower. So this morning, I was listening to one of my favorite jam bands, Goose. Oh, nice. So yeah, which many think will be the next fish. So you can make all the assumptions you want about what I do with my spare time based on that <laughs> personal info. But but yeah, so they actually just played New Year's Eve at the, I believe, at the Aragon Ballroom. Oh, yeah. In your hometown. One yeah, of my favorite venues. Yeah, I actually wrote a book with one of Chicago's most well-known jam bands with one of their members from Humphreys McGee. So I've been, I've been, uh, uh, been to Chicago on many, many occasions, usually for that. Now for my freestyle. Yeah, yeah, let's I, do it. I think there's a, so there, I think there's a few, th I always like to, I kind of lean back on like what stood out and. You know, I, I enjoyed our the conversation about brand about a, basically a brand exercise as opposed to building a brand. You know, a brand could be your appearance, but branding and I don't know, like try to create something valuable, I think is the main thing. I think you're building a brand when you're creating something that, you know, that people have an association with. And I know for a fact that we managed to do that at full scale because I get a ton of referrals and you don't get that kind of people don't point stuff in your direction if they don't feel good about it, about it themselves. So, and I think that the thing is, uh, you know, I turned 47 this year and um, I don't look a day over 46 currently. So, but with that, I've really, really felt that, um, you know, like I said, as I've grown older and I've matured, I really feel that, that a, a good brand creates that peace of mind. And I think that peace of mind is, it, 
it, well, first off, without it, nothing else has much flavor or spice. And it's really like an intangible thing that you can't really put a value on. So like giving people back their time or their peace of mind is ooh, inherently valuable. And I, and you know, 10 years ago, I looked at something like Gigabook or the different things that I've worked on. And I, I've been like, you know, our real value is the systematic and formulaic approach to who cares. It's about <laughs> peace of mind. And it really is. And it's like the same thing. It's like, you look at any of the brands that you draw and associate quality with, well, that's a peace of mind. That's knowing that whatever you've got isn't a piece of crap when you get it home. And I think if you focus on that and, and, you know, also like, you know, service, remember you sell stuff largely because you, well, on a bit, on a B2B approach, it's because you either help people sell more or spend less, right. Or give the business owners or the people their peace of mind. That's right. Which is actually probably more valuable than either of the other two I mentioned, because these are the people that continue to make the decisions about what you're buying. So, you know, like, I don't know, I, th I think really that's, that's been a, a main thing for me. And, you know, and I appreciate the approach to, I think, listen, you know, hasn't always been, hasn't always been something that I, I can be verbose. So, <laughs> you know, I've learned the power of listening. And like you said, I it's like, when you get people to come in and experience your whatever, they're usually telling you what they want to buy, how they want to buy it, at what volume, uh, what they haven't bought in the past and why. And it, the more you listen, the more you get into, like, I don't know, the best. We, we interviewed a new salesperson today and we literally, the first thing we talked about is, is he a good listener? Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible trait. I think there, you could dedicate uh, a whole series of podcasts around how, how, how you can become a better listener for sure. I think Maybe we'll uh, just do it. And we'll just do it and just be quiet the whole time and see how that goes. And that'll be like a, that'll be a, by the way, are you interested in what the traits of genius are? I I'm super interested and I love that you're studying it. Um, so this, so by the way, I'm studying it because I want to learn how people turn it on and off. Um, and I start, I began my study by literally talking to rock stars, which I have this, like, I worked in, I mentioned working in the music industry. Like I remember a Dave Matthews band wrote the foreword for my music industry book. Oh, amazing. You know, so we have to get some access to some interesting people, but, uh, and so it started out with me wanting to know, how do you turn that switch on? Um, I've also learned that a lot of that is really just preparation and the inspiration occurs in other moments, not just the, what you see on the stage. But so there is a, there are 24 slash 25 things that, that most people uh, agree on and they are drive, courage, devotion to goals, knowledge, honesty, optimism, ability to judge, meaning like they don't, cross something off before they look at the facts and mm -hmm. like, you're not saying, Oh no, my, my, my bad personal view or opinion says that won't work. So they're very, very open. Um, enthusiasm, which is kind of what you were mentioning. If you don't have the power to move people, uh, you're not, which goes to the next one, dynamic energy. They're willing to take chances, enterprising, persuasive, outgoing. They have the ability to communicate. This is an interesting one. They are patient with others most of the time, but almost never with themselves. Uh, perception, uh, perfectionism. So geniuses cannot tolerate mediocrity, particularly in themselves. 
um, sense of humor, uh, versatility, ad- adaptability, curiosity, uh, individualism. Uh, you are not concerned that anyone else cares about whether what you're doing has any merit at all. Um, idealism and imagination. So I love you know, that. Yeah. So apparently now the interesting thing is, is with that, and what I found is that people make the mistake of believing that geniuses are born and not made. Those are all things. I, everything I mentioned is something you can get better at. That's for so, sure. The one yeah, that stand, kind of the one that stands out to me in that list, Matt, is uh, is honesty. You know, it's, and some of that's like it's it's being open with others, and also like honesty to well, sometimes you're you're pursuing the wrong shit. Yeah, yeah, pretty simple. So you know that that yeah. So anyway, we'll see where we go. Like I said, that really has evolved. It went from thinking it was a switch and then it was a dial because you kind of turn it up and then like that spiral is because there's so many dimensions to everybody that's never a flat linear surface. And it's funny because as I've progressed down that, I'm like, oh, wow, of course it can't be a switch. It must be a dial. No, yeah. no, that's too linear. So <laughs> who knows? Talk to me again in a month and I'll probably have like a weird matrix or something for it. I don't know. I'm All just right. trying well, to figure I'm it waiting, out. I'm waiting for the episodes when you're, when you're dissecting the geniuses of our time. And, and for those of listening, once again, Jeff Cantalupo, founder and managing partner, Listen Ventures, go to listen.co. See you next time. Thanks, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.